Welcome back to the information security stack together with me, Daniel Gustafsson and Kim Hindart. Hubba. Today, Kim, we are going to cover a hot topic uh, regarding Max Schrems and Schrems 2, the fall of Privacy Shield. We're going to do a quick summary of what happened and where the status is. And we're also going to discuss an FAQ uh, that the EDPB board let, um, let out on the market a couple days ago. So... First and foremost, let's start in the in the in the correct end. A couple of weeks ago, or almost two months ago now, it was the mm-hmm. decision that the privacy shield that has been in existence for the last five years, which was an extension of the safe harbor, which fell five years ago, and then the privacy shield took its place. And everybody said this is not gonna last, this is going to fall. And lo and behold, in 2020, during the summer in mid-August, it happened. Where do we begin with Privacy Shield? What happened and what is the cause of the fall of Privacy Shield? Yeah, so for uh, people who uh, hasn't perhaps followed, uh, the idea with data privacy is, of course, that GDPR sets a rule that's the same rule all over the EU. GDPR, the same across Europe. This is since 2018, so... Uh, for a couple of years now, this has been the rule. Then the commission can, of course, say, okay, certain countries, you have uh, an adequacy decision, so to speak. You have adequate protection that we feel that if we have an agreement in place between two companies and two entities, mm-hmm. then we feel the legal protection in this country is enough similar to what we have in Europe with the GDPR, so we can accept that uh, personal data may be transferred safely between these two countries. These are a bunch of different countries. There will be a a link in the description, but Switzerland is one of them. Mm -hmm. Norway is one of them. Very similar in values, very similar in laws. Mm -hmm. Japan is one of them, Mm -hmm. so they have very similar uh, Canada is one of them, so it, this is not limited only to the Europe, but even uh, North America. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, we had this big issue with most uh, crazy majority uh, of uh, IT service companies are based in the US, especially Silicon Valley and the big hyperscalers are US-based. Even mind you that it doesn't matter if you store things in a European data center. It's where the owners are. So the legal jurisdiction for the hyperscalers are still based in the United States. Yep. And then, of course, there's the issue. How do we safely transfer things to and from the United States? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then for doing this adequacy protection, they made an agreement. The European Commission and the United States Trade Department made an agreement earlier that called Safe Harbor. Yep. And then the privacy watchdog, a lawyer, an Austrian lawyer named Maximilian Schrems. Mm -hmm. Uh, I talked to uh, 
Swedish customer who said that disgusting Austrian. <laughs> that's so that's they one way, really that's one way to put it. <laughs> didn't like that he <laughs> challenged uh, uh, U.S. transfers, but anyway, and for or U.S. viewers here, I got this question yesterday: What the heck does Austrian law, uh, lawyers have to do with the EU? He's on another continent. No, that's Australia. <laughs> Austria is an alpine country in the middle of Europe. Yes, and they are part. <laughs> pretty much, uh, part. pretty much smack in the middle of Europe, yeah. and they're part of EU. Yes. So yes, <laughs> one one of the twenty six active members right now in the EU. Yes. Yes. So Austria, Australia. That's the continent down under. Uh, <laughs> And yes, they have their own privacy laws and are also one of the adequate countries, you know, here. Anyway, in a global world with global uh, communications, it's pretty hard to exclude data transfers between Europe and United States. We can all agree that this causes some challenges. So, of course, there, there was in the interest of both the European Commission and uh, the U.S. Trade Department to ensure that you could have some sort of mechanism. And then they decided to create what they called Privacy Shield right after Safe Harbor was challenged. Mm. The European court said Safe Harbor is not good enough because the United States have massive surveillance programs that take precedence over the Safe Harbor protections. Mm. And they felt that Safe Harbor protections have to come before the U.S. surveillance programs like FISA and uh, executive orders and stuff where they actually say we have the right to mass surveillance things. So the first thing with the safe harbor, that fell mainly due due to the revelation of Edward Snowden. Mm -hmm. So if you haven't followed along the news at all, we will link a bit of this. But yeah. That's a big, big old history lesson. Yeah, big big scandal in the US a couple of years back, yes. Mm-hmm. After Edward Snowden, mind you, the US changed policy, but that policy only concerned US citizens. So they increased the privacy protection of their own citizens. But that didn't mean that if I'm a European, I have no rights whatsoever mm. to privacy under the US law. So... As a European, they can snoop all they want in my privacy. Yep. And, of course, this was very counter to what the EU thought and felt. And the EU said, okay, dear trade department, let's agree on things. And, yeah, they agreed. And uh, they managed to get an agreement called Privacy Shield. The problem with Privacy Shield was, of course, that that didn't change any of the US surveillance programs or the rights the U.S. government and different authorities have to infringe on people's privacy, especially mm-hmm. non-U.S. citizens' privacy. Yep. So Maximilian Schrems challenged this again, and he just do uh, made one claim against Facebook. So this is solely Facebook's handling of his personal data when Facebook actually transfers their the data... He, as a European citizen, enters into Facebook over to their locations in the United States. Mm-hmm. So 
mind you, the the case was based only on the handling that Facebook makes. Yep, but it was it has, but, it, but it was enough to prove the point essentially. Yeah. Yes. Yes, but it has ramifications all over. Anyway, late August, uh, no, uh, late July actually. Yep. To be correct, uh, the Court of Justice in the of the European Union actually took and solely removed Privacy Shield as an adequate mechanism because they agreed with Schrems' findings that due to the surveillance laws that are in the United States, the United States is not considered an adequate country for the baseline protection of data privacy. Mm. So they say data privacy comes first and no trade agreement can trump data privacy. Yep. So data privacy has to be first before any trade can happen. Mm-hmm. And this is a fundamental difference of opinion between the United States and the EU. So what the Court of Justice has mainly done is they've actually mainly made it impossible to have any sensible data transfers between the US and the EU until the United States actually change their surveillance laws mm. and their surveillance handling. And the chances of that are slim to none, essentially, meaning... I mean, and if you want if you want to look at it from the other side as well, I mean, the US is doing this also primarily to protect themselves as a nation as well, counter-terrorism and so on. And no one can claim that the US has not been facing a lot of terrorist acts over the last 12, 15 years or even 20 years. So... Mm-hmm. There, there's. They have some good ground for their way of thinking. It's just it does not really correlate with with the uh, with the European way of viewing data privacy. And there is, I would say, there's a fundamental thing. The EU made the GDPR as a regulation. Mm. That's pretty severe stuff. Yep. They usually just make directives, but they made a regulation mm-hmm. solely based on data privacy. So the EU has deemed that data privacy is a human right. Yep. That's the same as you should have freedom of speech. That's the same as you shouldn't be prosecuted depending on your gender. Mm. These are basic fundamental rights that, well, civilized parts of the world agree upon. The problem is privacy has never been a human right in the rule of law in the United States. No. That's a situational-based thing. So that that by itself fundamental difference makes it very, very difficult. Because if the US doesn't consider this a fundamental human right Mm -hmm. and the EU does, Mm -hmm. well, of course, you end up in problems. And this is exactly why the US has a lot of differences between what type of citizen you are. If you're a US citizen, you fall under one thing. If you are non-US citizen, you fall under another, mm. whilst EU say all humans have this fundamental right. Mm. The same as we don't agree to slavery anymore. No. Even though certain countries make it legal and I can go and buy people, the EU doesn't recognize that I'm the owner of a person. No, and it's a, and it's a, because, and it's a crime. Yeah, mm. so, so that's why. And and then, of course, we have this difference of opinion. And this isn't something that's easily resolved, no matter how much the European Commission 
wants to have this. Mm. But this is the second time that the Court of Justice actually ruled, uh, overruled the European Commission and yeah. uh, trashed mainly the mechanism. So, what can you do now then? Well, the effects of this are pretty pretty severe because, I mean, if we just look at how many uh, companies and counties and legal um, agencies and other authorities within different European countries use, for instance, Office 365, Amazon, uh, AWS, uh, Google Cloud, what have you, all of these really great, really good international, This in this case, primarily American services that we use in our daily operations are now being considered illegal because of this fallout. So for anyone right now living in within the EU and using Office 365, for instance, and you put personal data into your Office 365 accounts or whatever you might share in, in your services, if that data, it doesn't matter if it's stored in, the Europe, in Europe or not, that data is now considered being illegal to be handled in these types of services. The fallout of this, of course, is panic, stress. People are extremely uncertain. What do we do now? The unfortunate thing is that we went through this six years ago when, when, when the, when the uh, safe harbor fell as well. The only difference back then was that these services wasn't as prominent in our daily use as they are today. Uh, over the last five to six years, companies and, and uh, legal authorities and, and uh, uh, government agent agencies within the EU has done a, a massive job transferring their internal IT systems into cloud services, which we are, we are part of the problem in the sense that we encourage everyone to use cloud services. And all of the big integrators also provide these services and help uh, companies to transfer the data and their data infrastructure to cloud services, such as Amazon, such as Microsoft Azure, and so on. So this has been going on for the, going on for the last year, and it's really been taking off for the last two to three years. And now, all of a sudden, that data, that, that, um, that data transfer and that change of how we handle our internal systems, systems are now being considered illegal. Of course, this now opens up a floodgate of questions and, and, and anxiety and what have you over what the hell do we do now? And that's a good question. What do you do now, Kim? Yeah. Uh, and just to remind you all, this can go in several steps as well. Because, for instance, if you're a company or an organization that uses Office 365, yes, that's a very direct way. It's just your direct subcontractor. Mm. But remember, you might be using a whole different service, such as a web analytics service, such as, for instance, a chat program named Slack. Mm -hmm. They, in turn, use AWS. Yes. So... It's just not your subcontractors. It's your subcontractors' subcontractors. Yes. You need to check as well if they are part of any type or using any of the hyperscaler cloud solutions. And you can see it can quickly go way out of hand. Mm. And you, can, you are bound to end up pretty quickly with different providers that use some of these existing cloud services. Mm -hmm. that's, more, that's more a rule than an exception today. So this is why this ends up being problematic, of course, mm. quite quickly. Uh, 
just for our, uh, or we ourselves as an example mm-hmm. have a lot of Swedish companies where we buy Swedish services from. Yep. But they in turn buy services from Amazon or Azure. Yep. So it doesn't help that we buy from only Swedish providers no. when they in turn buy from. So yeah, this ended up... Fortunately, you have this gathering, this organization within the EU called the European Data Protection Board. Yes. This is the gathering of all the data protection agencies from the member states, send members to the European Data Protection Board. So when it comes to data privacy, they're pretty much the go-to expert organization within the EU. Yes. Uh, We will talk a bit more with a far different topic about what the EDPB actually is and what they stand for. Yeah, we, 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 will, cover that. To, yeah, we will cover that in a separate mm-hmm. episode. Sufficient to say anyway that they have a pretty influential impact upon how do you interpret and how do you handle data protection in a practical manner mm-hmm. now with the court ruling. So what the court did was invalidate one, one of the automated mechanisms that made it legal to transfer data to and from the United States. Mm-hmm. Now the GDPR has a lot of things that they can that makes it possible for you to open up transfer to what they call third countries. That's countries that have not received any adequacy protection status. Mm. So third countries, China is one, Iran is one, yes. uh, Cambodia is one. So these will all be treated the same. Mm. And then it's up to you as the controller of the data to ensure that the data is either not sensitive enough, so it doesn't need severe protection mechanisms, or you do a lot of add-in protection mechanisms, such as encryption, uh, key handlings, etc., there are different technical solutions you can employ. Mm. But in general, what you can say is that it's very hard, it's very tricky, and you're bound to fall somewhere down the line. Mm. So it's a risky business. And not all protections help in all the cases. So uh, you're still bound to have a lot of extra measures set set in place. So this is why. And they answered, then they made this frequently asked questions uh, statement. Yes. The funny part with this was that the European Commission didn't agree with this one bit. (laughs) No, they actually disagreed. And and then they sadly realized, shit, EDPB doesn't work for us anymore. No. It used to be so before EDPR. Mm. So they said, but you work for us, you have to change this. And the EDP, we said, no, we don't. Here it is. Yeah, so I mean, just, just, <laughs> just, a, just a quick brief that the European Data Protection Board, or EDPB for short, is a separate, it works. It, it's actually, it's, actually provi- it's, it's an institution within the EU, but it's a separate institution that also uh, w- looks at what EU members does. I mean, that, so they are, a, they are a separate entity, so to speak, outside of, of the EU bubble, yet they have been put there in place by the EU. So to your point, EU and large was really upset when they realized that, oh, we actually have to follow these directives as well. And then and the court rulings was actually regarding us as well, not only everybody else. 
which in you know if we want to go into details gdpr is actually they have some exclusions including well the exclusion is the eu in this case that's not that's that's not true at all so the edp actually decided to say no this is this includes all the eu data members as well and you have to follow the new directives but to your point the faq that they have the faq which they have released which of course we're going to link in the episode as well so you can look into it in details but it actually states a couple of obvious questions of what to do next. And you've been going through this and been looking through the, the details of this FAQ. Yes. And well, there is one important thing, and that's that the court still allows for certain mechanisms under GDPR that you can transfer data to a third country. Mm-hmm. And one of them is called the standard contractual clauses. Yes. And yes, standard contractual clauses can be applied to transfer to a third country. But then you as the controller, you who signed this agreement with a subcontractor in another country, have to ensure that that country meets all the adequate protections that you have so you don't expose your data to any more risk of being exposed to government agencies than what you have within the EU. And this is totally counter to the main idea on why the court actually revoked the privacy shield in the first place. So the United States is not a trusted country. Mm. So this means that even though you have standard contractual clauses, you cannot apply them to any providers from the United States without any additional means of protection. Mm. So this is this is clear and uh, well, if, additional if, if, means... just just quickly mm. yeah I was going to ask you, addition, mm. additional additional uh, means of protection what what is what is that entitled? That might be for instance anonymization of the data before mm. it's being transferred. Mm. So uh, make sure you don't transfer personal data. That's the important part. That's Easier said than done, I know that, but that's a one part, of course. Yes. A second part is encryption. Encryption, of course, decreases the sensitivity of the data, but it's still personal data if the encryption is reversible. Yes. So encryption only gets you so far. Uh, and especially if we're talking special categories of data, mm. we have a d- topic, this uh, episode about special categories data especially but especially if you talk about that then this is very risky still this is still something now uh, that you shouldn't uh, i wouldn't advise uh, i would really advise against it Mm. actually so and this is why it's tricky so anyway encryption can take you a bit far further but that still requires a lot of work Mm. you should remember it because you can never allow this encryption to be <clears throat> breached or handled in clear text anywhere. No. And also, also remember that almost always when people talk about encryption, they talk about encryption with, with data in transfer. That's really in the, the unimportant bit. This data at rest mm. where the important encryption comes in. And most people yes. forget about the fact that you also have to keep it encrypted when the data is 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 is, is uh, staying put at at a server or or some sort of storage. And especially the most tricky part of all is actually the data in use encryption. Mm-hmm. Yes, you have to ensure that the personal data 
specifically the personal data, is still encrypted when it's in use. Mm. This is tricky. You need to recode a lot of applications for that. Yeah, and also, I mean, mandatory. just just take, just take a simple simple case like an inbox, a mail inbox, for instance. I mean, just mm-hmm. using SSL encryption for data in transfer, that's one thing. Encrypting a, a, a mailbox when data at rest, of course, is also an option. But to your point, data in use with emails, which you're using every day, all the time, essentially, is extremely tricky. So, I mean... It goes for everything that you want, all the services you want to use. So this definitely put the highlight on the fact that encryption, as I've seen articles out there, and you probably you have you have as well, that people say as long as you encrypt your data, you're fine. Well, that is true. That is that is that is painting it with a very broad brush. Uh, you you need to you need to think it through twice and three times before you do anything with, with encryption because everything should be encrypted at all times. Yes. So. You can use different mechanisms. There is one mechanism worth mentioning called the binding corporate rules. Mm -hmm. This is where you can internally make a lot of protections and internal policies that might give you the right to internally transfer certain data between different locations you have in your own enterprise. Mm -hmm. Remember that Biden corporate rules takes a time and it has to be approved by EDPB and uh, your local data protection agency. Mm. So it's a big process. That's mainly for huge enterprises that actually stipulate Biden corporate rules. Mm. And Biden corporate rules doesn't help you if you contract a subcontractor. No. It only helps you within your own organization. Mm-hmm. So... Binding corporate rules is another one. But anyway, then we have these transfer mechanisms that says that we we can transfer things based on consent. Yep. And yeah, that's a possibility as well. But any type of consent-based processing needs to be very explicit and you as the controller who gathers this information are fully responsible for having this consent very explicit and very clearly defined and communicated to the data subjects. Mm. So you can be fined heavily if you're not clear enough. So this is also a very tricky model that you need to be very, very clear and... (coughs) uh, worried uh, informative mm. to all the data subjects regarding the consent and the consent can at any moment be revoked yep so uh, it's that's yeah. that's a tough road to go down to be honest with that's you. All. I, I i would highly recommend against going the whole consent based because it's there's so many pitfalls along the way but absolutely yes. it is a way it is an option but it is a very tricky option and they actually, the EDPB has mentioned consent-based things uh, in different guidelines earlier as well. And that's also said that consent-based should be an exception rather than a rule, yeah. which also makes it uh, tricky to go down that path. So, yeah. 
But if, yeah. if, if people have questions now, this FAQ is good because it highlights a lot of, a, a lot of obvious questions that people might have. And, but they also are a bit fussy in the sense that they refer to, uh, they refer to other laws. They, 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 they refer to the FISA and the EO, EO 12.333 and so on. These are, these are other regulations and rules which you need to understand in order to understand this document fully. So if we have someone listening to this right, right now and they, are, they, they read this FAQ, they get most out of it, but they still have questions. Who do they turn to? Who do they talk to, let's say, for instance, in Sweden? They can turn to the local data protection agency. Okay. Every EU member country has a local data protection agency. And just to don't panic with this. No. no, you're not going to be insanely fine tomorrow for using Office 365. Everyone knows that there needs to be a grace period. Mm. With that said, uh, the EDPB is very, very clear. From the moment the court made the ruling, it's illegal to transfer data to the uh, personal data to the United yeah. States. No question about it. They'd made that perfectly clear mm. right there and then. From that moment, it was illegal. Of course, the EDPB, consisting of all the data protection agencies that are in charge of enforcement, knows that they can't go out, chase people down, and give them huge sanction fees right away from the moment that happened as well because yeah they will be highly questioned <laughs> from an enterprise perspective since a lot of companies use these things but what they say that you have to do right now is do a mapping what data are you processing here and now that is reliant on uh, privacy shield mm what data is transferred to the United States. And when you have that mapping, you need to have a roadmap in place. How do we change this? Yep. And no, one roadmap is not, we wait for another ruling. That's not <laughs> a good way. I don't recommend that way. So. <laughs> but if, we, if we're lifting that discussion for five minutes now, I mean... The whole thing is that the Privacy Shield, everyone knew Privacy Shield was going to fall. And Max Schrems did his utmost to make sure it was going to fall once again. And it has. So now the whole Privacy Shield has become Schrems 1 and Schrems 2. Everyone is fearing a Schrems 3, meaning the next directive will not be sufficient either. What, what is your take on that? Meaning, what are the EU doing right now to not fail again? Because they can't fail again. We cannot have this in five years again. Or even two years. Now, actually, fortunately, uh, fortunately, even the Commission now understands that if they were going to bring up a Schrems three, mm -hmm. first of all, they would look really stupid in front of the court, and the Commission, in all honesty, they is still politicians, mm -hmm. so. They wouldn't like to be dragged in front of the court called, you stupid idiots. No. <laughs> Publicly. Exactly. <laughs> Publicly verbally slapped around. No, call, uh, calling, it, uh, calling it privacy harbor is not enough. You actually had to do some proper change in it as well. Yeah, yeah exactly. <clears throat> yeah. So, uh, and so that they actually realized the futility in bringing this up again. Mm -hmm. That hasn't prevented certain organizations since uh, the European Commission is a polit political body. Mm -hmm. 
and their main focus is, of course, encouraging trade. Yes. So, yeah, anything is for sale for them. Mm-hmm. So uh, that, uh, so they they have this tricky part where you realize that, yeah, even though if we were to try a sneaky work around the agreement, like our uh, privacy harbor, <laughs> the third attempt, exactly, uh, and. And in the essential, they they wouldn't have done anything to change the fact that U.S. surveillance laws are still there. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what? Both the EDPB said they would charge it, so it wouldn't need to go to Schrems even. No. The EDPB would bring them into court. Mm-hmm. And the court said has already said that they will escalate that matter. Yeah. So instead of surviving for a couple of years, mm. like the Privacy Shield did, mm. well... I guess if they came up with a new agreement that didn't mainly force the U.S. to change their handling of how do they handle the rights of non-U.S. citizens Mm -hmm. in a sensible manner, Mm -hmm. well, you know what? The court would strike that down faster than you could say a bit. So, yeah, and I got to say, it's not a very envious situation to be in either. I mean, <laughs> the mere, as I mentioned before, the U.S. has a good reason for why they act the way they do. Now, we, we can absolutely discuss if they overcook it, so to speak, and they do and they overdo it and they 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 protect no other than American citizens. OK, fine. That's their stance. But. I'm not very envious at the at the at the at the good folks down at EU who has to go to the US and say, "Pretty please, with sugar on top, can you change the way you handle privacy data for Europeans and other citizens of the world?" Because we feel it's a human right, and they say no, and here we go again. So I mean, it's not it's not mm-hmm. a very envious situation to be in. I don't have very high hopes that the US will change, mm-hmm. not anytime soon, anyway. Especially with the frictions going on within the within the, the internal mm-hmm. politics in the U.S. as well, they have an election year, mm-hmm. so I highly doubt that we're going to have anything new in place this year. But the, the big question is, how long can we wait, and what is the, what is the actual possibility of getting a new change done? I mean, is this is this even feasible to do? Yeah, well, uh, the the big thing here, and this is something that will be very very interesting moving ahead is of course will the u.s change their minds Mm. but to be clear eu is not going to change their mind that would mean that they had to rewrite the gdpr and well that's not going to happen so no (laughs) that's not going to happen anytime soon no the second part is of course will the u.s change their mind and considering trump you know what? No, I wouldn't hold my breath for that as no. well. And to be perfectly clear, these laws and regulations that Schrems has challenged, they were in place long before Trump as well. Yes. So this is not something that just has happened just because of Trump. No. This is a fundamental difference of opinion, yes. like we said earlier, uh, between the rule of law mm-hmm. and how you consider data privacy between the yeah. EU and so Anyway, what you as a company should do, read the FAQs. They're very great. Talk to your local DPA and check, can you change providers to something within the EU or a country, adequate country? Change to a Japanese cloud provider, Mm -hmm. for instance. Mm -hmm. Seriously, that's the... 
uh, what I would say, by far the easiest solution. Yeah, or you know what, there are European options as well. And hopefully, hopefully, this I now this has already started with the Gaia X project and so on. But hopefully, maybe now we finally get to the point where EU and European companies start to look at each other and say. We have to start to provide these services ourselves. We cannot be dependent on European or U.S. providers on Asian hardware anymore. That is that is just not feasible. We have to start providing these services from Europe ourselves. There are European options out there. We are one of them. I'm not. I'm, I know that's that's a shameless plug, but there are tons of other really good European options. But we need to become larger, and we need to be highlighted more and we have we have to get the funding from the eu to start develop the com- the com- uh, co- companies within the eu to be self providing of these services and that goes for hardware and that goes for all the the uh, applications um, software and so on as well we cannot continue on to only rely on us software on asian hardware we actually have to get our damn act together within the eu and realize that the goal cannot be to only change an agreement between the US and Europe in order to satisfy both, both needs. That's one thing, and that's great. The other thing is we have to start to get companies within the EU to provide these services as well. And a great way to start to change the, hevel, the heavily um, tilt of using US services is to actually start to purchase someone else's services. I mean, so it is doable, but I agree the options are not there anymore. There's not feasible options in the the European market. That has to change. You know what? I was down working in Brussels in in 2008 and 2009, and the question was on the table back then as well. Now it's 2020. Maybe these 12 years is what we needed to get to, to get to a point where we have to start to provide these services ourselves. It's just we cannot continue to be reliant on everybody else. Because, I mean, we discussed this in other, in other episodes in, in our Swedish podcast as well, but it's not out of the scope of realm of possibilities that we EU and US could end up in a conflict. And what happens if we end up in a conflict and the, e, and the, and the US just simply shuts down all of these great American services for EU European citizens? Well, then we have nothing and we are stranded. That cannot be an option either. So, and to be perfectly clear, it doesn't need to be an armed conflict today. No, it can just be a trade conflict. Yes, that's and that's the, yeah, oh for sure. That is more likely, I would say. I mean, I'm not expecting bombs mm. to fly over Europe anytime soon, but a trade war, yes, that is extremely easy to 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 kick off, and I would not be surprised this, if we see it soon. This has happened. And it will happen again. So, I mean, rest assured, we haven't seen the last of these things. So, yeah. And then it's like saying Europe makes cars and Asia makes cars. Let's shut down and don't make any European cars anymore. Exactly. For sure, Germany would think, (laughs) yeah, that's a great idea. I I hope that Audi and BMW would take offense to that. And and that's that's for sure. But... (laughs) You know what? We have done it in other in- industries. There's, uh, there's not that many years ago we actually had European providers of data, computer hardware. We actually had European providers of, of mobile phone, phones and so on. And they were actually the world leading companies in their industries and in their fields. Most of them are not even existing anymore. So, I mean, yeah, let's, let's, not, let's not shuckle at the idea that we 
you know that we don't provide anything from you know anything from Europe because there are there are industries where we have completely stopped our own manufacturing. And the IT services and data services, in this case, cloud services, is one of them. We just simply don't do it anymore. Not not to a, to a large enough large enough extent, at least. So maybe hopefully this would kick off this little agenda as well, and maybe we should get that going rather than just waiting for a trade agree or a, a privacy agreement between the U.S. and Europe. Maybe. But rest assured, this is not the last time we will mention EDP. No. Trends or the GDPR in this pod. So no, we will come back to that, and we will do that in further episodes. But at least now we have covered this hot topic, which has been a hot potato for most companies for the last couple of weeks, and will continue to be so uh, for for a foreseeable future. But as you mentioned before, we will link all the uh, uh, all the documents and things we talked about in 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 the episode. You can find that at citynetworkeu slash podcast. And there also you can put, uh, uh, you can put it, send us your questions or if you have input or anything you want us to bring up in the podcast, or if you actually want to participate in the podcast as well, that is also an option. Make sure that you reach out to us on our uh, social media and our website. For now, Kim, that will be the end for today. Talk to you soon. Hope up. Mm-hmm.